Hello everyone and welcome back to Life at Your Own World podcast. I'm your host Paul Venus and this is another super episode. I teamed up again with my friend Nancy Pearsall and together we talked about our alcohol addiction recovery. This episode was so fun to record and Nancy had one of the most mind-blowing experiences I have ever heard so I know you're going to love this episode. So without further ado, enjoy. Hi listeners, so I'm here with Nancy Pearsall again. Welcome back Nancy, how are you? <laughs> Thank you, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back. How oh, are you you're doing? you're so welcome. Uh, I'm doing brilliantly, thank you. Uh, we had such a blast last time, I couldn't not have you back on. It was a lot of fun for me too, so I'm I'm delighted to be here. I'm so thrilled to hear that. So like I said in the intro guys, Nancy and I are going to be talking about our alcohol addiction recovery and I just want to preface this episode by saying that this podcast is a safe space and place to talk about addictions mental health and anything without any judgment you know so yeah we are going to get into our alcohol issues oh that word that people say our issues nancy (laughs) (laughs) i have so many issues i don't just have issues will i have an entire subscription (laughs) well like i I often say to people i don't have a problem with alcohol i actually love it yeah (laughs) Exactly. It just doesn't love me so much. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So um, would you like to begin with your story or do you want me to begin with mine's? Um, why don't you go first? Sure, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I can first remember drinking when I was around 13, which I noticed some will be quite shocking. But when you grow up as an autistic child and you don't know you're autistic, you feel very odd uh invariably you feel anxious or depressed and i felt all of those things and i'd also had when i was pre- previous to that when i was uh, very young i had some extreme trauma that i hadn't dealt with and i didn't know i needed to deal with it and so when i started drinking when i was in my teens i thought oh this is nice this gives me a nice feeling it makes me confident it lets me forget that i have anxieties and that's when i first remember drinking how about you nancy um, I was actually maybe late 17, 18. Okay. Though there was a brief instance when I was maybe about 10 or 11 when I saw a bottle of uh, pure vanilla extract in the kitchen and uh, yeah, drank about half the bottle of that to see what it would do and what was that like? Disgusting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and so that, that put me off until I, you know, until later. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I can imagine drinking because sometimes when I've when I've been doing the uh, like bacon or whatever, I dip my finger in the vanilla essence, and I'm like, oh, well, that doesn't taste very nice. How does it taste nice mm-hmm. in cakes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, so like I said, I was in my teens, and then going into my late teens, it's kind of you know, it's like one of those things. It's like a, a rite of passage. So it's like, well, I'm eighteen now, but well, in the UK, it's legal to drink when you're eighteen, and you're like, oh yeah, I can just do this all the time, and then. <laughs> Yeah, and then as I, as I got into my 20s, that's when things really started to ramp up. And mm-hmm. I'd actually gotten to the point where it controlled me. I didn't control it. Mm-hmm. And then eventually when I got into my mid, mid-20s, it did get to the point where I woke up. I had to have a drink because I felt awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be like the full-on shakes. It would be the paranoia. It would be you know, listening to every noise, thinking someone's coming to get me, bizarrely. Uh, yeah, and then it got to the point where I de- developed acute pancreatitis, and I, by that time, I just, I got really tired of it, and I thought, I'm really tired of this, I don't want it anymore. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't, obviously, just stop drinking, because for some people, that's really dangerous, especially when you've been drinking for years on end, because mm-hmm. your body, of course, it develops you know, tolerances to things, and then when they dip below those those levels, you feel awful. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've experienced anything similar. <laughs> yes, my dear friend. <laughs> you have. Oh yeah, I absolutely. Um, but i I don't want to. I don't want to dovetail from this. I would like for you to keep going. Sure, sure. So I developed the pancreatitis, and when I got to that point, I didn't care about myself. I didn't eat, I didn't really look after myself, I wasn't communicating with anyone, I didn't know anyone online, didn't even know what a social media page was. Uh, and by and it was at that point where 
I'd got the the pancreatitis had actually met my husband Jay. So whilst all of this is happening, I've got this brand new relationship, and I didn't know what to do with it because I didn't know what it felt like to be loved in that way by someone. Mm-hmm. So it was all very strange at that point, and. Yeah, he he was there with me through the nights when I was shaking, sweating, uh, paranoid, couldn't eat, you know, just to get me through it. Mm-hmm. And then the pain, the pain. I mean, I I believe that pancreatitis is one of the most painful things you can experience, apart from childbirth. Uh, <laughs> but I've not been through that, and the, like the pain was unreal. I'd go through these. It was around a. It took about a year until the pain went away. I'd have these cycles where one week I'd be fine, then the next I'd have to go into hospital. They'd yeah. give me morphine, then they'd regulate uh, my kidneys, my liver. I had to get catheterized, which was awful. Oh God! So that, yeah, so that they could keep an eye on. Um, sorry, I <laughs> I'm laughing, but I've just had a memory flashback of the time when I had to be catheterized, and there was a guy that was in the next bed to me in the hospital. And a bit of a funny story, uh, the nurse, she wasn't exactly quiet, and she said to him, <laughs> she, said, she said to him, has your foreskin always been like that? <laughs> and, oh my God, that's amazing. I thought, you know what, it is true, you leave, you leave your dignity at the door when you go to hospital. Oh hospital. yeah, that's so hilarious, oh my God. I thought, oh, poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't even I can't even remember what the guy looked like if he was young, old, whatever. But I, I can just remember it's just that bit I can remember. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and like when I was there, because I was I wasn't eating for well months on end. I'd gone down to just under seven stone, and mm. the nurses actually thought I was like anorexic or bulimic or something, and they kept saying to me, "Will you please just eat?" But I couldn't. Because when I, whenever I ate, my body just rejected anything, including water. Mm. So it meant I had to be on drips constantly, just, you know, to stay hydrated. I had bags of, like, vitamins and, antibiot- and antibiotics. And, yeah, it, it literally went from, like, building myself up again. I'd had to learn how to eat. I had to learn how to walk again because I'd spent so long in bed. Oh, God, honey. Because, my, like, my leg muscles had wasted away. And I can remember getting home one day and I had to put a washing on, you know, a perfectly ordinary task. And I'd lent down on the floor to pick up items to put in the machine. And we've got a, well, usually in the UK, you have a front loader. And I was on all fours putting the things in the machine and put it on. I go to get back up and I couldn't get back up because my oh. legs just wouldn't support me. Oh, God. But thankfully... I had the, the washing basket, and so what I did was I used the washing basket, turned it upside down, and then crawled through to the, I suppose you would call it the lounge here, kind of hoisted myself onto that because I couldn't lift myself from the floor to the seat. Oh. Yeah, and then I eventually got into the to the seat, and yeah, I had to learn how to eat again. And so the doctor was saying to me, eat whatever you like and as much as you like. And I've been given this diet sheet and it was everything you could ever dream of, like cake, cream, butter, crisps, fat, everything. Mm-hmm. And I remember the way that I've started to build myself up was with cup of soups. Mm-hmm. You know, like the powdered stuff that you just add hot water to and you drink them. Mm-hmm. And chocolate malted milk biscuits. And even though I felt ill and sick and felt like I wanted to vomit, I thought, just do it little by little. Mm-hmm. And look at me now, I'm I'm literally twice the person I was. God, you've you are so strong and I like I, I honestly I I've no I Nancy, I have no idea where that strength comes from. I've I've just I just I think I've just got this determination to do the impossible. You know, it's I don't want to get ahead of myself, but a lot of people believe that alcoholism is a lack of willpower. And okay. it's actually, we are some of the most strong-willed, determined people that you will ever meet. And yeah. um, so I I think that that does support, you know, your your belief. Like, that yeah. that actually, actually you were able to flip it into a survival mechanism. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then once, because I mean, the main thing that I had to focus on at that point was eating so that I could build up my reserves and things. I think that's what the doctor called them because I had none. I had absolutely no fat reserves. Mm. Like I, I could lift, I could see all my ribs and everything. And like my my teeth looked too big for my face. Well, speaking of teeth, because I'd been sick, because I was being sick up to 30 times a day uh, mm. because of the, all the bile that my body was producing, uh, I almost ruined my teeth. Yeah. Because of the acid. Mm-hmm. And that's why my teeth are yellow because like it's worn away the enamel and there's nothing I can do about it, which I hate. Yeah. Well, it's just, a, I can understand that and I can empathize, but I still think you have a beautiful smile. And thank you. Yeah. And, you know, those things are cosmetic and in time they can be corrected if you wish. But the most important thing is that you've you've got your health back. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And when when I'd kind of mastered the the physicals, if you like, because I'd had to like I was going back and forth to the doctors about pain relief because none of them were working. And like eventually, th- I think there was talks of putting me on morphine, but I decided I didn't want that because I know how addictive it is. Mm-hmm. And with me having quite an addictive personality, I didn't want to go down that route. Uh, so I had the pain relief sorted, and then I had all the vitamins sorted and all the minerals sorted. And then came to the time when I thought, I'm not, th- I want more. Because I don't want to just be this person that just lives from day to day and from you know, state handout to state handout. I didn't want that. I mean, if that's your life and you, you, you're quite happy with that, great. But that's not what I wanted. And so I had to work out why I was drinking and develop other, you know, like coping strategies for life. Mm-hmm. And so I went to get grief therapy. Had to do that because I'd lost my mother she was the most important person in the world to me and then I had to do I went to what was it called cognitive behavioral therapy for anxiety which didn't really work well for me and now I know why but we'll get onto that in a wee while mm-hmm. and then talked and I waited three years to get a one-to-one with the therapist on the NHS to talk about uh things that happened in my childhood which I won't go into and that was really tough and then I got really interested in mental health and reading and hearing why other people do things why they're addicted to things why they need to escape and what Mm -hmm. I figured out was the secret is you just you can't escape you have to sit with those feelings Mm -hmm. and just work through them which I know for some people is absolutely painfully horrendous but it's just something that you have to do as a human being Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And so I did that. And I thought, I want something more. Why don't I put myself out there? And my husband, Jay, said to me, what makes you happy? You know, at, at, at like a basic level, what makes you happy? I said, well, I, I don't know. I'll have to go and think about it. So I did. And... I kind of took it back to childhood because you often do because I always say the best time in my life was when I was a child before the world ruined you. Yeah. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? Highly relatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, as a child, I really loved magic. And as a child, I don't know why, I always loved wigs. Add those two together, be a wig maker. How cool. Yeah. And so that, makes me happy and I thought okay so if I want to do that and if people need to know who I am I need to get used to me being me and I was always petrified of my own voicemail couldn't listen to my own voicemail for even two seconds because <laughs> I was always told growing up you've got a femme voice you've got a queer voice but now I realize so if those things are true that's fine that's absolutely fine mm-hmm. and then kind of built my social media presence and here we are at this current moment. And, you know, it's interesting that you got that feedback because I don't personally interpret your voice to connote that. But even if it did, okay. I would think, who cares? Yeah, yeah, you've, yeah. Got, you've got, like I've said before, I just, 
your voice you have like the best voice <laughs> <laughs> thank you yeah. I mean and I, I do I do agree to a certain extent I sometimes listen to it and think yeah that's quite calm but uh I don't really always want to send people to sleep <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. I've got, I mean, I've not got the best voice, but I've not got the worst voice and there's nothing I can do about that. So it's exactly. it's fine. And uh, yeah, someone that hates, used to hate their voice, here we are doing a podcast of all That's things. That's so, so amazing. <laughs> that is, that is like, you've, you've come a long way with beautiful, like health and self-acceptance and, and embracing play and creativity and healing. And yes. I hope, I hope that you're proud of yourself because you've done a lot of work. I am proud of myself. Uh, I sometimes look at my life and think it's, it's almost because so much has happened and changed. It's like almost like my life is something that happened while I was looking the other way. <laughs> it can feel that way sometimes. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why I always, I mean, I try to, I don't always succeed, but I always try to now practice the just appreciate the here and now because when those moments of progression and things are gone, they're gone. Just appreciate the moment and be proud. Yeah. Yes. And me, even me saying that because I've, I've kind of grew up in an era and a place where you're, you're not, like things like confidence, it's a dirty word and you're not allowed to be confident. You have to, like especially in the UK, you have if you're not erring on the side of self-deprecation, you're a narcissist or you're conceited. I think that's such a shame. That's yeah. such a shame. Because I mean, who shouldn't celebrate their their wins, their achievements in life? And I'm actually going to speak a little bit to that uh, here, maybe in a in a few minutes. Uh, the topic of humility. Um, yeah. But but yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and then. The cherry on the cake, as I like to call it, I found out I was autistic. And then and how, life starts to make sense. And so how did that affect your sobriety? You mean finding out I'm autistic or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it certainly didn't do it any any harm. I mean, if anything, it it helped because I understand some of, some of why I felt the way I felt. And it's like, oh, it wasn't actually all of my fault. And also just while it's fresh in my mind, Often when people are taking alcohol substances or, you know, gambling or whatever, sex addiction, it's like it's self medicating but not in a healthy way. I just didn't mm -hmm. know I just didn't know what the tools were or how to find the tools to help me navigate life. Yes. And I've I I can really find that I mean, I don't know if it's because I'm queer or because I'm autistic or because I'm a recovering alcoholic. I tend to go out of my way to not judge anyone who chooses to put whatever you know in their in their bodies mm -hmm. and when I hear people say oh you know look at that stupid junkie that selfish alky I take issue with that massively because I say you don't know what trauma they've been through mm -hmm. you don't know what they have to face on a daily basis you don't know what their life is like when they shut shut the front door at home mm -hmm. you don't know if they are in an abusive relationship or have been in an abusive relationship or if they've got a really bad time at work or if they've got some sort of other medical condition that's really shit to cope with. Thank you. Thank you. What for? Just for, for having that compassion because so many people, you know, they don't get it, which of course you get it because you've been there. Yeah. And I, I hope that, I hope that if there's anybody listening to this, who's not familiar with these topics in depth and that they struggle with um you know yeah, judging you judging others bit, yeah perhaps you could have a bit more empathy because like mm -hmm. i said you you've no idea what their life is like yeah they might put on a front and say yeah my life is great and anything could be happening when they go home or when they go to work or wherever they go whatever they do in life that's absolutely just, right. Yeah, I mean, that might be their only escape. I mean, like, for instance, we have, in our area, We, I mean, we know that she's an alcoholic. She says that she drinks every night. You know, I make no judgments. And there's been times when I've seen her in, like, the local store, and I see the look on her face of sheer delight and excitement and joy when she's buying her vodka. And I think, oh, well, firstly, how deeply sad is that 
And secondly, I just wish that I could give you everything that I've learned so that you could mm-hmm. have a different life. Mm-hmm. When you think about it, alcohol, it's the only drug that you have to apologize for not taking. <laughs> yes. you. Yeah, you nailed that right on the head. That's the truth. Yeah. I mean, it's it's saturated into everything. When you celebrate something, have a glass of champagne. When you're commiserating or need to calm down, have brandy for whatever reason. I never drank brandy. Did you ever drink brandy? Uh, I think I may have tried it once, but I was never really a fan. No, but it's just a thing that I saw on telly. You know, when you're in mortal peril, you have a brandy to calm your nerves. Uh, yeah, it's everywhere. It's, it's absolutely everywhere. It's it's practically it's impossible to escape yeah. in our society. Yeah, I actually I listened to another podcast. I'm not going to say which one it is because, well, one I really enjoy, and two, it's not my job or place to out people. You know, like they'll not drink through the week, but at the weekend they'll save kind of save up all their units so they can get absolutely smashed. Mm-hmm. And they'll be like, "Well, we're not alcoholics." I'm like, "Well, I I would disagree with you on that one because." Why would you feel the need to go to that extent to get that drunk if you don't need to escape something? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I probably had these kind of conversations back in the day, but like I'd work all week, go out and get completely spannered, <laughs> as we say mm-hmm. in Edinburgh, spannered. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or I mean, sometimes it would be drinking every night before, you know, like uh, a school week, uh, like working and things. And mm-hmm. I think, well, I is that is that is that true? You don't have a problem with alcohol because that, sometimes it's all they talk about. Yeah. And sometimes people that I know, it's all they talk about. And it's like, is that all that you look forward to? I mean, I sound like a total like snob and, you know, like the alcohol police. Honestly, I'm not. If you were, you, you live life at your own will. That's the whole point of this podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is there is more to life than alcohol. There is more moments to enjoy. There's just life to enjoy. And sometimes I'll say to people, just enjoy the, the noise of the birds singing. Oh, well, that's not good enough. And I'll, <laughs> say, and I'll say, well, make it good enough then. Make it whatever is good enough for you. If you want to have these momentous occasions, make them happen. Mm-hmm. If listening to the birds singing, if listen, if feeling the wind on your face isn't enough, if getting wet in the rain like you like to do <laughs> as well as me, <laughs> if that's not enough, make things happen. But they don't. And then I'll go around in this circle where they're not happy with their life. And then I'll have to listen to it constantly. And then constantly resent having to listen to it. Because I've been through this conversation hundreds of times. Yeah, really, it's it's kind of a wake-up call. You have to take responsibility for your life. The, the life that yeah. you want to live. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, gosh. Thank you for for sharing all of that. I relate to so much of it. Um, I'm, I'm glad because sometimes I think I'm the only quote-unquote crackpot person that thinks this mm. way because I, I honestly do I enjoy the simplest things in life it, it could be like seeing a bird sing on Instagram or it could be like a butterfly at the window or something that's just me I think the capacity that one has to appreciate the beauty and joy in small things is relative to the depths of hell that they've sunk down into yeah. So um, I, I I fully relate to your ability to appreciate tiny flowers and birds singing. <laughs> Brilliant. I love um, that. So um, again, thank you for sharing all that. I really appreciate it. Um, oh, you're, you're so welcome. So as you, as you touched upon, I guess sort of um, bit, really big picture, as you mentioned, like addiction can take many forms and, and, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> And like you, I guess my um, predominant addiction was always, it was a struggle with alcohol. And um, that, like I said, started when I was about 18, which was um, now almost, I can't believe it, 30 years ago. Lies, but, um, lies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so true. Um, and so during the course of my life and my time popping in and out of recovery, I have been, I've popped in and out of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And Mm -hmm. um, I'm no member, sorry, I'm no longer a member of AA. um, And I will kind of uh, talk about that a bit later. Um, Sure. But first, I'd like to kind of talk about what exactly is an alcoholic. And this is, you know, what I'll be sharing here is what I learned from AA. And I want to say that I learned a lot of 
incredibly valuable things about you know from AA. Mm-hmm. Um, it just isn't really for me anymore. But um, in AA, it, it wasn't for me either. I, I tried really? it a couple of times. Yeah, it, it it wasn't really for me. I didn't like the. I didn't really like the format that they that this particular branch of AA had because it was kind of like, well, if you don't follow our plan, then nothing in the world will work for you. Yes, <laughs> that's kind of universal. <laughs> yeah, um, and then it kind it kind of brings me back to my whole outlook on life: doing things at your own will. Don't yeah. force people into doing things that, just because it works for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for the next person. Exactly. Um, so they say that. It doesn't really matter um, what type of alcohol is or is consumed or how frequently a person drinks. Um, what's really significant is how alcohol affects that person. And specifically, if somebody can't simultaneously control the amount that they're drinking and enjoy it while they're moderating, they're probably an alcoholic. Um, and so most people, even still today, mistakenly have this belief that alcoholism is a weakness. Like I said, it's like a lack of willpower or it's some kind of a moral issue, like they're just bad. Mm-hmm. When really the root of addiction in general and specifically alcoholism, at least that's what I am going to be speaking about here, it's predominantly biochemical. Um, in AA, they talk about alcoholism um, being an allergy of the body coupled with an obsession of the mind. And that, yeah, and they say only a spiritual experience can get a person sober. At least that's what AA says. But when we think of, yeah, um, when we think of uh, allergies, I don't know about you, but like I think of uh, maybe somebody's allergic to shellfish or strawberries and they break out in hives or, you know, you start sneezing because somebody cut the grass. But this is um, an allergy to alcohol can only be felt and it's experienced as something that AA calls the phenomenon of craving. And so I'm I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs here from a site that's called 365soberliving.com. Sure, we can put a link for that in the show notes as well. Awesome, thank you. Um, And it will help explain the biological differences between normal drinkers and alcoholics as far as their biochemistry goes. Okay. So um, it says... In a non-alcoholic brain, there are a number of enzymes present in appropriate amounts, all functioning in the right way. When someone with a normal brain takes a drink, these enzymes quickly break the alcohol down into carbohydrates and simple sugars in a way that allows the body to eliminate them. Brains functioning in this manner are not genetically predisposed to develop alcoholism. Brains that are predisposed to becoming alcoholic are missing some of the enzymes in the brain that allow them to break the alcohol down to simple carbs and sugars. One of the steps in the process of breaking alcohol down to simple sugars is the creation of acetone. In an alcoholic brain, the person takes a drink and the alcohol is only broken down as far as acetone, and then the process stops. Thus, the acetone just sits in the brain instead of breaking down further to simple sugars. Since acetone is the chemical in the brain that makes you crave more alcohol, the person craves another drink and takes another drink. More acetone accumulates, so they crave the third drink twice as much as the second, and so on until the person is inevitably intoxicated. No wonder Alcoholics Anonymous has a saying that has resonated with alcoholics around the world for decades, which is, one is too many, and a hundred, or a thousand, never enough. Never enough. Never enough. My sort of, I guess, story, I'll just say that my my dance (laughs) with alcohol was harrowing, but I, I do believe that in the big picture of my life, it was actually a tremendous catalyst for opening new worlds um, to spiritual experience and to really fostering my connection with my concept of a higher power or what I just call God. I'm not religious. Um, I'm just, I consider myself to be kind of non, you know, religiously spiritual, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, so. It's like myself, me and my husband, to be consider ourselves humanists. Yes, I like that. I like that yeah. a lot. Um, so I did. You know, start experimenting, like I said, around, you know, 17 or 18, just to cope with 
a significant trauma history that I also had and long-term clinical depression and generalized anxiety. And when we chatted um, in one of our uh, last chat that we had, I talked about having Lyme disease and my significant, you know, my mental health history, the depression and anxiety, um, in addition to being unidentified autistic, I was living with Lyme disease since I was seven years old, and those things attack the nervous system. So all these things were up against my mental health, you know, the trauma, the Lyme, the unidentified, also, you know, ADHD and autism. I started experimenting, uh, you know, when I was a teenager and pretty much immediately developed a problem because I am genetically predisposed to be allergic to alcohol and began early on experiencing that phenomenon of craving. I uh, actually attended AA probably only once when I was around 19 after I had left home and moved to a different city to attend college. I wound up having to drop out of college after a year and a half the first time that I went because I was spiraling so bad. Um, I was just a complete wreck, drinking every day, experimenting with all different kinds of drugs. Um, I actually had a very intense LSD experience around the same time that um, I attended that AA meeting. So I was probably about you know 18 or 19. And the urge to drink was lifted completely out of me for 12 years. And so I was completely clean for seven years after that LSD trip. And then I started smoking cannabis again at year seven, but for 12 years, I didn't touch booze. Um, I did eventually relapse on alcohol after 12 years and I returned to AA and I was in and out of the program, <clears throat> excuse me, for many years. I always held a full-time job during my drinking. Um, I often drank every night and then went to work the next day. I never went to rehab or detox facility, although I probably should have because I like you, I had, you know, delirium tremens or DTs or the shakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was absolutely terrifying. Um, part of the reason that I kept relapsing, and this is not to cast any blame, but I, I had a sponsor in AA once who told me to always drink before killing myself. Because, you know, the the thought behind that is you can bounce back, hopefully, from drinking and get sober again. But obviously, mm -hmm. suicide is final. <laughs> so yeah, I, yeah. I I did that a lot. I was suicidal a lot. And so I would drink. Yeah, again, a, lo a lot of that was because I didn't know that I had Lyme and I was very sick and I didn't know that I was neurodivergent. So I, I did, in my 30s, I became quite involved with AA because I knew that if I, I didn't, I th things were just going to be very, very bad for me. Um, I began, like, I went to meetings every day, sometimes more than once a day. I chaired meetings. I shared my story in front of the group um, several times. I attempted to sponsor people, although um, newcomers, they often drop off the, the map when they first kind of show up in AA. So I didn't, I wasn't a long-term sponsor for anybody. I would inevitably relapse. And so I went back out as they say, and started drinking again in my mid or late 30s. And some of the low points that I experienced, um, I, I was drinking so much that after a while, I, I would drink a lot and then I would throw up. And it got to be after a while that even just the smell triggered a gag reflex. But I was oh. so physically addicted to it that I would hold my breath while I chugged a bunch of whatever. And then I would throw up in my kitchen sink and start crying and force myself to keep drinking um, until I blacked out. And I blacked Gosh. out frequently. I drove in blackouts. Um, I did some, yeah, I, I'm very, I'm not proud of that. I am extremely lucky that I didn't hurt somebody else or myself in my um, stupor. Uh, and the alcohol made my Lyme uh, symptoms a lot worse. Of course, I didn't know that that's what it was at the time because sugar makes disease worse. Um, yeah, I, I remember was say, if it wasn't bad enough already with, with the way Lyme disease yeah, makes yeah. you feel. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I would go to meetings and I would just cry about how much pain I was in. And then I would go home and just pour more into me. Um, and I remember one day I went to the store and, uh, I bought a six pack of something and I, I came into my apartment, I closed the door and, um, 
you know, standing there, like in my, I had this tiny little apartment. I was living alone, and I, I set the beer down on the tile, like that little entryway that was like mm-hmm. a three by three foot square of tile. And I set the beer down, and I just hit my knees praying, and <clears throat> I asked God to show me who I am. Okay. And I, I didn't even know what that meant. I just said, God, please show me who I am. And then I got drunk. But I know that God heard me <laughs> because eventually I, you know, I found out that I'm autistic and I'm living with Lyme. Along the way, my time in and out of the rooms of AA, the way that it informed my spiritual life, um, I did have what they call a burning bush spiritual experience at one point. Um, a mystical, yeah, um, it was by all, um, I guess you would say by all accounts, um, a full-fledged mystical experience. I was okay. completely, yeah, I was completely sober when it happened. I was not looking for it. Um, what happened was that I was throwing myself again, you know, once again, headlong into my step work, working with a sponsor. Um, I was being urged to pray on my knees twice a day instead of just, you know, not, not mm-hmm. on my knees. Yeah. And <clears throat> to, and, you know, I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it because I wanted, I wanted to get free so badly. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I've always believed in God. So the God part of the program was not a problem for me. Um, and I had been, you know, doing all this praying and I had a, a meeting one day with my sponsor at her apartment. We did some some step work together out of the big book. And um, I was actually, she told me to go away and like go somewhere and do some some more step work after that. So after I left her apartment, I drove to this place. Um, actually, it's it's a part of the campus to the, the university that I went to that I had to drop out of. The name of the university is called St. Edward's University, and it's in Austin. And there is on the side of the hill, kind of below the main building, which it's a, it's a beautiful campus. There is, um, well, there's a soccer field. And then there's like a hill that kind of, you know, moves up towards main building, and, uh, like a little kind of an open cave or recess that's been carved out. And it's called the grotto. And there are, um, it's a Catholic university. I'm not Catholic, but I went there anyway. Sure. And there are um, like statues of uh, saints around the grotto. And there's this um, kind of like a, a large freestanding table sort of in the middle of, of the grotto. And the walls are lined. It's um, an archway. The whole thing is you know, shaped like an archway. And it, it goes back about 15 feet. And it, it's kind of like, <clears throat> excuse me, got like a cobblestones all over the walls. And against the wall, the far side of the, the wall, when you're facing it, there's a large bronze or brass cross, sorry, <laughs> cross. And people have lots of candles and they light candles and so so on. But I've always had a history of just going and sitting up on top of the table <laughs> and looking out over the hill towards the skyline and just it's always been a very special place for me to meditate ever since I was ever since I moved to Austin when I was eighteen. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the grotto to do some step work and there was nobody there. It was very peaceful. And <clears throat> as I was sitting sitting there on the table, <sighs> And I'm reading about humility. And this is going back to your point about being self-deprecating. Okay. Um, in, I believe it was the 12 and 12, which is one of AA's books. Um, it's the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions. I, they talk about the definition of humility. And it's not to bow down and to be servile and scraping. It is to be right-sized it is to take up room if you're not taking up room. And I was sitting there and I was thinking about that. And I was just sitting there and it was so quiet and peaceful. There was actually a soccer game being played down below me in the mm-hmm. field. And there was a little crowd. And it was just sort of background noise. And I'm listening to the wind and the trees. There's a couple of trees like on the right side and the left side, about you know 15 feet away from me. And it's just a beautiful, peaceful day that's a blue sky, and there's a warm breeze blowing. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking like how my entire life I've been afraid to take up space and what would it be like to do that when all of a sudden I felt a gust of wind like, you know, like blow into me. And then it wasn't just wind. It was like, well, visually, 
I'm looking out, you know, towards the, the field and, and the, the hill rolling down in front of me with the trees on either side. And on the left side and the right side, I saw something very, very strange. It was okay. as though clear plexiglass from the ground up to the sky that I hadn't noticed before. It was almost like these flat planes of plexiglass were stretching vertically from the wow. ground up to the sky. And, and they started kind of shimmering, uh, almost as like slightly like little rainbow colors kind of warbling. And then also there was a flat plane um, perpendicular to those two. So almost like a three-sided box. And all of a sudden the sides of the clear glass box both collapsed inward and the one that was facing me, you know, collapsed inward. So all three sides of this clear box, I was completely sober. Okay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> they all just collapsed inward. And as the wind like warm and like blew into me, I felt this surge of something else and energy blow into my mm. chest, blow mm -hmm. into my chest and fill my body up to the point where I closed my eyes and I just started like, shaking like kind of like with adrenaline but also mm -hmm. like you know the feeling that you you ever get the feeling like somebody's like looking at you out in public and it's kind of like you can just sense this you're like kind of like the hair on the back of your neck like stands up and you kind of have this awareness it's like a yeah. state of yeah i mean i've, I've had like similar experiences but nothing quite as profound as what you're describing and whatever this thing is i i, I, I want to be there i want to be at this place i want to <laughs> i want to witness this i so it was yeah it's um i guess true to the character of mystical experiences i will never be able to fully articulate it but it um i think you've done fantastically just by, <laughs> just saying that honestly it's just this i had this heightened awareness all over my body and i started like my heart started beating faster and I had to close my eyes because I was aware that all of a sudden I was no longer alone. Something was not just in me. It was this separate, it was a separate awareness. Like it, a separate entity almost. It was a separate entity and it entered me and I was trying not to get scared. And I closed my eyes and I tried to be calm because I thought I don't, this does not feel evil or bad. Mm -hmm. What is this? And so I just kind of sat there and I, I tried to be calm and I started mentally asking it questions like, what are you? And it just, it didn't answer with words. It wasn't like I heard voices, but it was kind of like these impressions that I got. And it was just like swirling all around me at the same time that it was in me. It was just, I knew that it was like imbuing everything on a, on a quantum level. And it just said like, um, you know, caring, conscious, intelligent, always listening to every thought, always responding to every thought, love, pure love. And I mm -hmm. asked it what gender it was, and it said no gender. And it was not associated with, like I said, with any religion. And I, I just, I sat there with it, and I tried to just be like, accepting of it and, and wait to see what happened. And so it, it stayed with me. I'm not sure how long this episode lasted, maybe 10 seconds, maybe 20. But eventually I felt, it felt as though something in me was like sealing up or closing and it started kind of like coming out the top of my head. And I knew that it was leaving me. And when it, it left, I just... It was weird because the exact moment that it completely left me, I opened my eyes and I started bawling. And right then on the soccer field, somebody scored and the crowd started cheering, going wild. Wow. And I just started. You can't say that's just. Oh, God. You know, just timing. Come on. <laughs> I, yeah. And I just I just started bawling. And I was so like bawling and laughing and looking around, like wishing that there was somebody there who had just, you know, witnessed it. And at the same time for a long time after that, I, I felt really guilty and weird about it because I thought, why did this happen to me? And nobody's going to believe me. And what is this? Why did, you know, why me? Who am I? I'm like nobody. And the, the only thing that I could think of, like why it happened to me is that I think, I think it revealed itself to me to try to give me a sense of security to grow into to have courage 
to be who I need to be in this life, to grow, mm -hmm. to, to take a chance, to have humility, to grow into who I need to be. And so, but still, even despite all that, it wasn't enough to keep me sober. Um, and so I, I eventually relapsed again. And so in January of 2017, which was still three years before my autism diagnosis, I was again drinking very heavily. I was no longer attending AA, um, but my body was completely wrecked by the alcohol. I had gained 100 pounds. I had a fatty liver. I had uh, extreme edema, which is swelling in my lower legs and my feet. Mm -hmm. um, and I was... Um, uh, having the striped, striped purple rashes all over my body, which is associated with one of the Lyme co-infections that I have, Bartonella or cat scratch fever. You get these purple streaks all over your body. And so these things were happening to me and I knew that I needed to quit. And so one day I just, I was like drinking and standing out on my porch, which looked out over a parking lot. And I just thought a little silent prayer to God and I just sort of surrendered and I said okay I'll participate in my life I will participate in my life because I had, I had not been participating I had not been interacting with anybody I worked mm -hmm. I got booze I came home I isolated that was my life and yeah that that sounds incredibly familiar it's so horrible and so yeah. I immediately felt a shift after I said that in my mind and um, pretty much immediately, the urge to drink was lifted from me. And so that was over six years ago. And um, that was January 27th of 2017. Um, so now, if it's okay, I'd like to kind of go through a, a little list of pros and cons of AA. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. So my personal, I guess, um, issues, you might say, with AA... They say that self-knowledge avails us nothing in the program. Um, but I will say that it was really only after my knowledge of self being autistic that helped keep me sober. So can um, I just ask what you mean by that? Self-knowledge self means nothing pertaining to what? Sure. So they say that self-knowledge avails us nothing in terms of keeping us sober. Um, like you can know... Oh, I wouldn't agree with that. Yeah, so exactly. So that's sort of my first um, thing that I disagree about. Um, it also bothers me that the big book mentions all sort of motivations for drinking. Um, but they never, you know, there's nothing at all about the program or the literature that talks about neurodiversity. Um, when you say which the big of course, book, is mm -hmm. it the, which book is it? Sure, it is... Um, it's Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, it's their main text. It's actually okay, called, right. yeah, it's actually called the big book. And I actually love the big book. And I, it's just when you say the big book, I tend to think the Bible. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it is, it is, um, yeah, it's, you might say it's their Bible, although. <laughs> yeah. I, I just wanted to be clear on that. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I should, I should uh, have explained that. No, no, um, it's okay. It's fine. So they don't talk about, you know, I mean, they do talk about probably things like, you know, minor anxiety and depression, but they don't talk about, you know, oh, hello, you're autistic and you're trying to numb out because you have sensory and cognitive overload. I mean, the big book was written ages ago. And so um, I'd like to see personally some revisions made to that. But um, another another thing that concerns me is the sponsor concept. Um, in AA, you're strongly encouraged when you join to uh, work all of the 12 steps with a sponsor. Um, and my, the predicament with that is that just because somebody has more clean time than you and is technically qualified to be a sponsor because they've done the steps themselves, doesn't mean that they're mentally or emotionally healthy. No, absolutely um, not. And well, yeah. I mean, what I would say to that is, you know, like recovery, it's not always a linear process. Exactly. I mean, yeah, we will have our, our down moments, we will have our relapses, or is it lapses? Someone told me that once you've um, once you've been into recovery, there's, you can't really relapse, it's just lapsing, is that right? Um, might depend on who you ask. I mean... Well, I think that was CBT, and we all know that that doesn't really mm. work for autistic people. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's anyway, a good I'm, point. Sorry to, to, to lead you down that, that track, sorry. No, 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 that's, um, that's, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, yeah, so just um, the whole 
the whole sort of like um, holding sponsors up on pedestals, holding quote unquote old timers who have double digits worth of sobriety up on pedestals. Because I, you know, they say that in AA, it's better to embrace principles over personalities. Um, but I, I met a lot of mm. people with, you know, double digits who engaged in some very sick behavior. <laughs> yeah, and um, I mean, like you said, I mean, they may have many, many years of sobriety and, you know, being clean, but it doesn't always mean that they are mentally fit. Exactly. Yeah. Um, there's also a very uh, strong emphasis. So one of the things you do as part of step work, um, if someone is in AA, is that you're encouraged to take a moral inventory um, to kind of get to the root of um, situations in which you feel angry or resentful or fearful and so on to, to find out what your part in that situation was. Mm -hmm. But, but a lot of my um, issues were instances of past abuse. And so um, I feel like as, you know, many times victims, they're, they're targeted because they're simply present and they trusted the other person. So I don't feel like trust is a, is a character defect, and I, um, I actually resent <laughs> that. <laughs> yeah. About about doing that, um, about doing that part of the step work, um, and then people are often encouraged to perform serve because they're told that if you help another person, it will keep you yourself sober. It's not like do good for others simply for doing good for others. It's do good for others so that you'll get a payoff, and okay. that bothers me. Um, yeah, and but again, it kind of yeah. feeds into, like, I'm not worthy of good for myself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, but the pros, I'll say, um, it is free for many people. It's the last house open on the block, so to speak. Um, I had worn out my, um, my connections with a lot of my relatives. They were tired of... You know, they just, they couldn't deal with me anymore. They weren't yeah. willing mm -hmm. to interact with me anymore. Um, and so I'm, I'm very, I, I will always be grateful for the fact that I had a place to go and commiserate and, and do some healing. Um, another pro is that meetings and the fellowship associated with AA are pretty much everywhere worldwide, including online. Um, working the steps in order can induce what I call a spiritual chiropractic adjustment, which helps you to connect to your um, concept of a higher power, if that's something that you're interested in. Mm -hmm. um, and some people who never incorporated spirituality into their lives before often do discover a God concept for themselves, which they say radically improves the quality of their lives. Um, but there are other ways, obviously, like you know, to get sober besides mm -hmm. AA, um, many programs yeah, like, are... Like, like to someone mm -hmm. listening, we're not here to, to bash AA. This is just right. our subjective experiences. Is Thank that the you, right word? Subjective? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, so um, some uh, secular ways, let, let's see, or programs to get sober through are... There's one called Smart Recovery. Uh, there's one called Life Ring there's one called SOS, which stands for Secular Organizations for Sobriety. There's something called Moderation Management. And then there's a program specifically for, for women called Women for Sobriety, which may actually incorporate the spiritual principles. Um, and, you know, just a quick little uh, note regarding, like, why is AA spiritually based? Um, so the 12 steps of AA were actually co-authored in large part by Car Carl Jung. And um, Bill Wilson was one of the founding members of AA, uh, people who are, um, you know, in AA often re refer to themselves as friends of Bill or Bill W. Because um, okay. it was Bill Wilson. Um, and he and Carl Jung, um, I believe it was, really wrote the, the 12 steps. And the reason that Jung believed that a spiritual experience was imperative to getting and staying sober was because he actually believed, and you can find this in a letter that he wrote to Bill Wilson. Um, Car uh, Carl Jung said, you know, basically, hey, Bill, <laughs> don't tell anybody that I said this. Uh, and he, this is what he's saying in his letter. But I actually, actually believe that um, 
alcohol is called spirits for a reason that it's oh. bad and bad energy and um he said the best antidote antidote against a, a basically a bad spirit he said is a spiritus i think contra spiritum basically spirit against spirit okay and so that's why um aa was sort of modeled around this the goal of having a spiritual experience to help you to to break free of the spirit of alcohol and if you think about it if i'm i'm going to get a little woo woo here because that's who i am um <laughs> you think about alcohol i mean what is alcohol it is the process it is the the byproduct of a decay process that happens yes. and so yes. i mean really it is liquid death um and so today um i myself do still use medical cannabis which is legal in texas where i live um i qualify because in texas autism is a qualifying condition and is it? it is and so i i use it for cognitive and um emotional overwhelm to, and Gosh, I, I, and honestly it, i wish they had that in the uk they don't well you never know i mean you just never know hopefully someday it'll become available um but i so i i kind of like you, I, I don't pass judgment on what anybody does. I advocate for harm reduction. So yeah. while I personally believe that it's it's entirely possible for somebody to become psychologically dependent on cannabis, um, I have never in my life experienced the physical addiction mm -hmm. that I did with alcohol. And so I don't use and I'm, it's not like I'm stoned 24 seven. I'm not, I'm extremely productive. I get more done before dawn than most of the people that I know. <laughs> hey, um, you, honestly, you don't have to justify yourself to me. You do you. Oh yeah, for sure. But like, just for anybody else who might be listening. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah, like anyway, so that's, that's kind of my take on it. Sure. I mean, if, if I could share with someone, listen, that if they, themselves or someone that's struggling with alcohol drugs or whatever the thing that really works for me is if you if you just kind of sit in a room try to relax and figure out what is this pain that you're holding on to where does it stem from can you work on it and that's that the, like the simplicity of that really works for me mm-hmm as in, I I would sometimes drink because I was super anxious. I'm like, why do I feel anxious? Oh yeah, because I've not faced doing that thing that I was meant to, or I've not had that conversation that I was meant to, or because I don't feel confident within myself. So how can I not fix these things? Because I don't really believe you can fully fix these things. But if you work around them, that, mm -hmm. yeah, that 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 really worked for me. Is there anything? I mean, apart from I, I am I am honestly so taken aback by that experience that you've had and the description of it. It mm. is mind blowing. Thank you. It um, again, still to this day, it's um, I it it leaves me very <clears throat> grateful and humbled and baffled and still feeling a bit guilty mm -hmm. that it happened to me and that I, I kind of I don't know what to do with it sometimes, but <clears throat> but um. As far I mean, do, as, I mean, do you do you feel like mm -hmm. it was trying to guide you towards figuring something out or to answering something? Because I'm the I'm the kind of person that I'm constantly seeking answers, but I don't yes. know what the questions are. If that makes yeah. sense, yeah, yeah. I think I think yes. I think it was just again trying to give me the courage to first of all, it showed me that there's something that I I could actually believe in, something mm -hmm. that I I alone perceived and and felt and physically felt and emotionally felt that just I, like I said I was completely sober I was not even looking for it and it helped to solidify my suspicion that okay. there is something like a god or but some kind of benevolent conscious energy or whatever you want to call it. Like, I don't care whatever you want to call it, something at work that is not necessarily visible or palpable um, all of the time. And, and kind of jumping from this over to something that you said a moment ago, sometimes we, we have anxiety because there are things that are difficult that 
you know, we haven't done yet. Um, mm -hmm. I have to play little mind games, you know, as a neurodivergent person, I have to play little um, mind games and tricks uh, with myself sometimes to override my uh, burnout with executive functioning. So one of the ticks, or tricks and, and um, tips that I've learned for myself is I'll put on music that really gets, gets my dopamine going, okay. something, you know, upbeat or something with a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, energy behind it. And I will do the thing that feels the most difficult first. Um, if that's something that's going to take a really long time, maybe I'll just do a small part of it. But once I, you know, I do it for a little while and I take a step back, I feel so much better. And like some of that sick, that sick feeling in my gut kind of dissipates. Yeah. And then I can do something else that's maybe not quite as hard, but I try to do the most difficult things first. And I find that that gives me momentum to kind of like keep going. And then I, I feel a little bit better about myself. And as a plus, <laughs> um, and, and again, I guess, unfortunately, this is only for those who have cannabis available to them. That is one of the things that I use cannabis for is that it does help me to dramatically like knock down walls uh, or barriers that my, my, exe my executive functioning puts up. Um, for some reason, if I you know, use like, I'd, I'd take like half of a dose of my cannabis gummy and I, I don't smoke anymore because I, I'm trying to live as clean as I can. I don't want to put any pollutants into my body. Sure. Um, so th these are all like oral tinctures or um, edibles. I'm able to tackle my ADHD piles of things that, you know, that pile up. I'm able to declutter easier. All of a sudden, it's just, it's like magic. It's, it just honestly, helps me. I'm, I'm so thrilled that you have that. And it just works thank you. so well for you. It must be and incredible. I, I thank you. And I, I really hope that it does become more universally accessible because um it really it truly is medicine and it's a, yeah i mean a, i mean that's that's just the tip of the iceberg i've heard that cannabis does so many great things for so many different conditions yes it, it really it really can yeah. so thank you yep. so much for oh i'm sorry go ahead no no no. i, I, was, I was just going to say maybe we could be well i could i don't know start some sort of movement to legalize cannabis use in the uk i don't know I would fully support that. <laughs> oh, I'm so thrilled. But again, it, it's one of those things that, mm, how do I go about doing that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd be interested to see. There's got to be some kind of maybe uh, grassroots, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> <laughs> groups maybe already, uh, you know, that you might be able to sort of join. Yeah, perhaps they're, they're more than likely as, yeah. And I'm, I'm just thinking to the, like, you well, not just touched upon, you delved deeply into how you talked about spiritual things. I, I, I have great difficulty in, in describing what I'm about to describe, but I'll try and describe it even though I can't. I know that makes absolutely no sense, but I'll <laughs> give it a go. Um, I, I've, I've got this thing in life where, like, I'll, I'll do my prayers at night, I'll say, hello God, hello universe, whomever is listening, and I'll, I'll say all the prayers that I need to, and that'll be me for the night, go to sleep. Well, try to go to sleep at least. And I've always felt that as long as I face certain things, everything will just be all right because of something. It's mm -hmm. nothing It's nothing tangible. It's nothing that's in text. It's nothing that is physical. It's just a feeling like I feel that there's something around me that's making sure that I'm okay. Well, and I get for, great comfort from that. I'm glad that you're able to perceive that. And I know that this means nothing probably coming from somebody across the ocean that you've never actually met in person and anybody listening. I mean, you don't know who I am. So what is my word to you? But for whatever it's worth, you're right. There is something listening to you, to everybody listening to this and you are heard. And if you are praying for something and you don't get it, it could be that the answer is no, because there's something better planned for you down the road. Right. That is very interesting. Like, very interesting. I hope it helps. It does. Yeah. Uh, I said before that I'm always seeking answers. Perhaps I've just had one of them answered. <laughs> 
Perhaps I think so. The, I, I think us meeting online was just one of those things that were meant to be. I like to think so. Yeah. And as my, like, I've lost a friend recently to cancer and her, her phrase was, well, she had two main, two main phrases. It's never be alone and everything happens for a reason. Mm. I'm sorry for your loss. Um, your friend was absolutely right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I hope to, I hope to do a proud by carrying on that message. So I don't know if I should say her name, but uh, you know who you are. If you are listening, I will make sure that within my power that no one will feel alone. And uh, everything happens for a reason. I'm not crying, you're crying. Oh my goodness, Nancy, this chat has been mind-blowingly incredible. I, I cannot tell you how much I've enjoyed it, and I know that the listeners are going to be blown away by what we've, di- what, what we've discussed. Oh, so thank I you hope so. Much. so. Thank you so much for for sharing everything and again for having me on and as always it's it's just such a a delight and a pleasure to talk with you. You're just you're like a little ray of sunshine from over there in Scotland. <laughs> oh, thank you. And yeah, you're a ray of sunshine from away over in that huge country across the the waters. Uh Thank you. Yeah, so thank you for joining me Nancy. A pleasure. You see, I told you it was a mind-blowing chat. I absolutely enjoyed that record and I know that you'll all have loved it too. We would love it if you could support the show by clicking follow or subscribe depending on which platform you're listening on. Do keep sharing the pod with your friends, every little bit helps and if you could leave us a five star review on whichever platform you listen on, that would be fantastic. Thank you so much for listening, we will see you the same time, same place next week with another brilliant Life at Your Own Will podcast episode. Take care. (laughs) 